Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. What a long week, and we have finally made it to Saturday morning. Hey, good morning. I, of course, am your host, Ashley Frasca. Happy to be with you on a beautiful game day Saturday. Oh, my goodness, the Georgia-Tennessee game is all anybody has talked about all week. And for good reason. I can't believe Georgia got knocked down to number three, though. That just makes the dogs hungrier to really beat the Volunteers in Sanford Stadium at home between the hedges. So you know where I'll be later this afternoon. But right now, I am here with you and glad to be here until 9 o'clock this morning. You can go ahead and start getting your calls and questions in if you would like. 404-872-0750 is the number. It's going to be a busy month coming up here on Green and Growing, and I can't wait to bring you an old celebrity interview the weekend of Thanksgiving. If you're in town, you got to stay tuned for that information about pine trees and conifers from a source you would never expect. But right now, what I want to update you on is we all got a notice yesterday or the day before from Becky Griffin from the University of Georgia, the community and school garden coordinator and, of course, coordinator of the Great Georgia Pollinator Census. You remember that back the weekend of August 20th? Wow, the participation numbers are in, and they were great. Check this out. Out of 159 counties in Georgia, people in 120 counties submitted uh, counts to the Great Georgia Pollinator Census. And some of the numbers, man, 139,000 insects were counted. That beats the previous three years. Counts for butterflies were up from last year, and moths are in that category, too. Folks saw almost 23,000 different types of butterflies and moths. Of course, a lot of folks were able to to identify a bumblebee, 21,000 of those counted in the census. And another number that was up, small bees in the small bee category, 17,000. And really good news from Becky Griffin. I want you to remember this. When she was on the show back on August 20th, she shared some big news. We are now partnering with South Carolina. South Carolinians can join the census this year. I've been working all summer with my good friend Amy Dabbs over at Clemson. We've been working with educators in South Carolina and business owners and and citizens over there. So they are also going to be counting. So we are transitioning to the Southeast Pollinator Census as more states see the value in recording our populations and doing educational initiatives about them. So it's a big year for the census, and I'm excited to see Georgia come out strong like we do every year to give a good example to those those Clemson, South Carolinian folks on how this works. 
And it was definitely well-received for folks in South Carolina this past summer because they had 17 South Carolina counties participate. And even more news next year, North Carolina is also joining the project through Alyssa McKim with North Carolina A&T's Community Garden. So we're very pleased to enlarge it to the Great Southeast Pollinator Census now. Congratulations to Becky Griffin on all of her cohorts on the now becoming regional work that they do. Um, I asked Becky with these results that are in from August, what would she say was the most surprising in this year's numbers? And Becky said she was surprised at how many butterflies they saw considering the weather. It was cloudy and rainy for some that weekend and the anecdotal reports of people not seeing as many this year. And also surprised at how many South Carolinians came out. Again, reports came in from 17 counties from our neighboring friends. And as always, she says, I am so moved that so many care so much about our pollinators. I'm so encouraged by everyone's thoughtful feedback and comments. So maybe next year we'll uh, we'll get even bigger, even greater numbers to really get an overall feel for what's up with the pollinators. And that brings me to the debate, and not even maybe a debate, but just the common knowledge out there about leaving the leaves. I think I've mentioned it these previous weeks, but when you have all these leaves falling on your grass, yes, you got to get them off the grass. Uh, Clint Waltz even confirmed that to us. The blades need to be able to receive that sunlight and direct rainfall and irrigation and all of that. So sure, rake the leaves up off of the grass, but it's so important to let them stay. Don't bag them and remove them. Uh, Let them stay in their environment, whether you rake them up around trees or shrubs or into garden beds. You can mulch them. If you mulch them with a mower or a leaf mulcher, you can leave them on the grass if they're in small pieces. Um, And something you may really want to check out is a Facebook page Homegrown National Park. That is what you search on Facebook, Homegrown National Park. And there's a lot from author Doug Tallamy. A lot of you know what he does uh, within the industry, really promoting insects and things like that. And, you know, native birds and native plants and how important that is to our environment. So just to give you that uh, that aspect again, I plan to get out there this weekend and rake. I'm so tired of hearing the sounds of the blowers. Uh, if you have an electric blower, that's great. I know they're a little more expensive, but I don't mind getting out there and raking. A reminder, too, I need to take this advice myself. Now having some bare dirt, uh, some exposed soil in my front yard due to some hardscaping we just had done, it's very important right now that you be able to cover any kind of bare dirt that you've got exposed. It's bad for erosion. The soil might compact when it's left exposed like that. So if you're just kind of in this in-between phase of not knowing what to do or you're going to wait and do some grass seed, you're getting a little late uh, for applications of fescue seed. But that is still possible if you aerate the soil real well and uh, mow the grass that's existing down low so the seed can fall down to the base of the blades. But uh, you definitely want to cover that soil so that it's not just left exposed, chances of erosion and all of that. Hope you'll call the show. 404-872-0750 is the number. And also just talk to meteorologist Christina Edwards, and she is continuing to let us know that the severe drought continues for all of North Georgia, and that includes Metro Atlanta as well.
She says nearly 68% of Georgia is experiencing some level of drought, and rainfall is certainly below average for this time of year. There was maybe only four days of measurable rain that occurred in Atlanta, as well as Athens, in the month of October. The average for Atlanta for an October rainfall is about 3.2 inches, and we got roughly one and a half inches in the Atlanta area. Out in Athens, all of you, your average is a little bit higher, 3.34 And you've actually received right around one inch of rain for the month of October. So that's a good reminder for all of us to continue conserving water. um, But you do have to really regularly irrigate new fescue yards. Also keeping up with that vegetable garden as well because it's still kind of warm. You know, I mean, we're still hitting the mid-70s or upper 70s for sure. So just really be smart about how you do that and how you time all your irrigation and watering tasks. One more thing I wanted to point out. I spent a lot of time yesterday morning while I was in the traffic center. It was Friday light on the interstate, so I was pretty proud to see that. So I had a little bit extra time while I was in the traffic center and was able to update the Green and Growing Events page uh, on the website. When you go to wsbradio.com slash green and growing, scroll down to find events, classes, garden opportunities, all that kind of thing. Um, Compared to October, there's not as much going on around Metro Atlanta in the month of November, but there's still enough. Uh, Today, there's Plant Lana with Trees Atlanta, if you want to get involved in that. Day of the Dead Festival at Oakland Cemetery is tomorrow from 12 to 5, and admission is free, so that's going to be really cool. If you're on my Facebook page, uh, you search Facebook, Green and Growing WSB. You see pictures that I just posted from my visit last week to Oakland Cemetery with some of the listeners who donated to the WSB Radio Carathon back in July. Beautiful fall color. You are still guaranteed to see a lot of that uh, tomorrow at Historic Oakland Cemetery, and as well as a lot of things in bloom. You would be surprised. Uh, Green Thumb Lecture on Pruning by the University of Georgia Extension. That's virtual. So you can stay home and take part in that Wednesday evening. And also National Thrive Outside Day at Rodney Cook Senior Park, for those of you in the city, is next Saturday, November 12th. And there's some cool opportunities for teenagers in the Atlanta and Athens area. So you need to check that out. Again, on my website, wsbradio.com slash green and growing going to take a little bit of an early break to get you caught up on weather and traffic and then we will be back of course with the top three things you need to do in the landscape this weekend i like this list and coming up at 7:20, one more visit with seth hawkins from the georgia forestry commission not only on an update from the georgia leaf watch but also some ideas of what to do with all those falling leaves i already gave you a little bit of intel there and at 8 30 pike nursery along with some advice on growing camellias if you're seeing this evergreen tree or shrub right now that's got bright white or pink flowers on it i can almost guarantee it's going to be a camellia you will love them two different varieties and between the two they bloom for maybe six months out of the year So stay tuned. All of that on Green and Growing coming up on 95.5 WSB. All right, 65 degrees here in Midtown Atlanta. Today it's going to be cloudy and breezy, but it's going to be warm, a high around 77. And then clouds move out tomorrow, a high of 78, low of 62. Green Green and Growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. And BTW, that brought to you by Finley Roofing. Okay, this brought to you by me. Uh, Number one, an easy tip for beginning gardeners if you're looking to get somebody interested in gardening. For fall and winter gardening, 
plant pansies. So easy. You need 50 for a bed that may be 4 to 10 feet, so I know that's pretty large. Uh, but irregardless, you plant them 10 inches apart, fertilize every month. You can use liquid houseplant fertilizer or osmocote, and you keep deadheading them. You go all the way to the base of the stem with some pruners or your fingernails, just prune those off. Number two, dig caladium, elephant ear, and dahlia bulbs. Now, while you can still find them, you know where they're at, store in boxes of peat moss, perlite, or even crumbled up newspaper. All of those are going to serve to dry it out. And once uh, one winter care choice, if you don't do that, I don't. I don't dig up my elephant ears. So far, so so good. We've had mild winters. I think if we have one, they're they're toast. But another choice is to cut the stems down, just six inches tall, maybe even less. Uh, just cover with overturned gallon pots or cover everything thickly with pine straw or pile leaves up on that row where the elephant ears are, and you should be good to go. And number three, the window on seeding a fescue lawn is starting to close. Uh, Clint Waltz recommends we get that done by mid-November. So be sure to mow first and then aerate to achieve the best seed-to-soil contact. And you mow it a little low so that the seed can fall down to the soil. Be consistent with irrigation. Once you start watering, Clint says there's no pause button on germination. So once you start watering, you got to keep it going. And keep the leaves off the grass. But don't bag them. Rake them around the trees and into garden beds. My goodness, you hear me harp on that for sure. 404-872-0750. Out to Tucker. Good morning, David. Welcome to the show. Morning, morning. Uh, Great weather here. Mm -hmm. Good weather for a nice football game. You got it. (laughs) Uh, And then World Series in the evening. Hey, can't beat that. No, isn't that something? It's a good sports weekend. Well, I mean, it'd be better if the Braves were in the World Series, but whatever. Uh, well, that that happens every decade or two. <laughs> yes, right, right. <laughs> uh, I had a question here since we're in some mild lulling uh, regarding gardening. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to expand my black-eyed Susan element since they bloom for so long and do dwell with pollinators. Uh, and you know, I have the standard black-eyed Susans, but I was unaware if there are any different varieties I might uh, start poking around for between now and spring uh, about planting different sizes, different colors, anything like that. Yeah. Um, You'd have to ask the garden center um, and you can obviously do them from seed or you can do them from plants and the plants are at the garden center now. Another name, of course, Rudbeckia. But Indian summer is really one of the only ones that I know right off the top of my head, David, Indian summer, which is probably... I mean, since I know it, that's probably the most common one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that would be worth researching for sure for the different colors, different varieties. And I mean, of course, if you get seed, you have a lot more choice. Right, right. I didn't know if you had happened to uh, to run across stuff and you've been to so many of these botanical sites and gardens. I know. Uh, My gosh. I saw when we went to Oakland Cemetery last week, um, so many varieties of mumps. Like the director of gardens there, Sarah, Sarah Henderson, was sharing at least four or five different names of different types of mums. Some didn't even look like mums, you know, so, I mean, there's so much that, uh, but then I get home, I take pictures of all this cool stuff, and then I get home and haven't written the names down, and I'm like, uh, Sarah, hey, what was the name of this one? So it's a lot to remember. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, mums, I guess, are popular in the fall because of some of the mums bloom then, but there are spring-blooming mums and summer-blooming mums and uh, so, red ones, orange ones, yellow ones, you know, yeah. all over the place. And there are some um, that look like daisies, too. I mean, they actually have a yellow center, you know, not the 
the uh, fall type little smaller clustered ones that we're used to, but just all kinds. And then there was a, a Pacifica, I think, was a variety and looks like mm-hmm. almost a little succulent like. The leaves almost look triangular, a lighter green mm. kind of succulent. Yeah, Google that if you can. Uh, Pacifica, I think, was that variety. And they are all over. They've propagated them and kept them going at Oakland Cemetery. Well, David, I love you expanding your knowledge. Let me know what other varieties you might uh, come across for Black Eyed Susans. Okay. All right. Love Bye-bye. it. All right. Always good to talk to you. 404 872 And I want to talk to you, too, here until 9 o'clock with Ann, with DeMarco, and you. When you become part of the show, call Green and Growing. We'll be right back. Stay tuned on 95.5 WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. Definitely having more fun this morning than should be allowed. It is 6.36 when you're waking up on your Saturday morning. And yeah, it's a uh, Georgia Bulldogs football weekend for sure. Right here on your Home of the Dogs, you can tune in to all of the pregame, the game, the postgame, the analysis after the Bulldogs Whoop the Tennessee Volunteers. It's going to be a good day. Uh, 404-872-0750. want you to call in with your questions, your suggestions, your recommendations, things you are doing in the landscape right now. Um, I always welcome that. You don't have to have a question to call. Um, I learned so much from being around other gardeners, and I know you all do as well when we share plants. We share knowledge. We share trials and tribulations of things that have worked or maybe not. Um, And earlier this week, I believe it was on Tuesday, I cut out of traffic a little bit early and went down to Peachtree City, and I spoke to the Peachtree City Garden Club. So good morning, Sue, and good morning, Susan. Thank you for having me. That was a really good time, and I love being around people who are passionate about gardening. I mean, I shared some thoughts with them, which I will share with you here a little bit later in the show, just some things to be thinking about, seasonal gardening ideas Um, And many of them are in smaller places, 55 and up community, where they don't have a lot of room to garden. But the room that you do have, you have to maximize. If you have that patio or that balcony or a small little postage stamp front yard, there is still stuff you can and should do. Um, And container gardening is a big one as well. Being able to move those pots around, change things in and out of them. Um, And that goes for city dwellers too, people in in the city with all the pots and hanging baskets and things on their balconies. I love seeing that. When I drive through Midtown Atlanta and down Peachtree. All right, back out to the phones we go. Not too far from Peachtree City. Michael calling from Locust Grove. Hey there, good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you for the call. Yeah, Um, of course. I have questions about figs. I've recently become obsessed with figs. (laughs) And I recently picked up uh, two-gallon pots at uh, Lowe's. And I wonder if I should leave them in the hoop house uh, until spring, or should I get them in the ground? I would go ahead and leave them in the hoop house. Um, There are really two times a year that are best to propagate woody shrubs like that. And, yeah, coming up on winter is one. Summer is another. Um, Late spring, when you start that, you have a little bit more control over it. Um, But now going into, you know, dormancy in the colder months, it's harder to control 
Um, so I wouldn't keep the plant outside. I would keep it in the hoop house for sure. But yeah, what you want to do, I mean, as you're going along pruning, just try to make each cutting just under maybe a foot long. Um, and it's got to have some leaves on it as well. Now, what Walter Reeves recommends, which I've not done this, I've propagated a number of, you know, woody shrubs, but um, with the cuttings from the figs now, Michael, if you can fit them in a one-gallon, you know, resealable Ziploc bag and just put them in the refrigerator and you don't really need to do anything to them until April. But that's when I prefer to propagate things because, like I said, you have a little bit more control. Mother Nature's going to do her part and, you know, you don't have to worry about cold nights bringing stuff in and out, in and out if you're trying to propagate it now. Um, so in April is when you would put them in nice, fresh soil in those two-gallon pots. Do the whole greenhouse-type effect. You know, if you want to put them out in pots and let them do their thing outside, have that greenhouse effect and that humidity, whether you have the Ziploc bag over top uh, for kind of creating that greenhouse effect or a two-liter uh, bottle with the bottom cut off. Okay, great. That sounds great. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I mean, always you start. You're so welcome. Always start with, you know, more cuttings than you think you need. So you take five or ten, and you're going to be really, really happy if two or three take. You know, so for now, just right. put them in a Ziploc bag, put them in that crisper drawer, um, and do make sure to keep some of the leaves on them. Now, what what started your obsession with figs? I'm just curious. Um, I tasted, I went to, uh, we went to a festival up there in um, the Apple Festival. Yeah. And somebody had uh, different varieties of figs, and I tasted a couple of them. They had made some jams, and they were just delicious. I mean, some of the sweetest tasting stuff I'd ever had. And, and she's like, oh, the varieties that there are in figs, and they're better than apples because they, they all taste different. So that kind of got me hooked. I love it. Yeah, and they are easy to grow. Um, as with anything else, you got to beat the birds and the rodents, you know, to the fruit. But once you get that harvest, I mean, it just doesn't stop. Um, I met a guy at the uh, Ball Ground Garden Club back in May, I guess, Hans Ruffert. He is a local uh, cook and does a lot with figs. And following him on Facebook, I mean, he has exposed me to more varieties and things than I've ever heard of. I know, I guess, brown turkey and Celeste, you know, are some of the most common ones here. Um, that the nurseries may carry, but once you kind of go down the rabbit hole with them, oh my goodness, the different varieties and stuff, that's amazing. You should definitely have an yeah. easy time propagating it, no doubt. Yeah, I have uh, the Violet Bordeaux and the Celeste. Wow. So I'm going to start with those two mm -hmm. and see how it works out. I, I've got a little food forest that I've been building. So I got the elderberries, the blueberries. So figs are the next step. I love it. And you know the whole fig wasp, right, where he gets in there and pollinates the fruit, and then the, the wasp actually dies in the fruit, and all the enzymes in the fruit break his body up to where we're not actually eating. Well, we're eating an insect's remains, but we're not actually eating a whole wasp. Kind of creepy, huh? Yeah, I <laughs> I read that. I, uh, I had looked into that. Um, however, over here on our eastern climate, mm -hmm. um we don't have that as much in the varieties that we have over here. Uh, it's more towards the western, uh, the hotter climate uh, varieties of figs. Huh. So maybe because my wife is scared to death of bees. Oh and, no! Yeah, and it's so yeah. I got to go through that, <laughs> but yeah. Hopefully, uh, I won't have 
that issue with these varieties that I've been choosing. So, yeah, maybe we'll if, they're, if the uh, plants are self pollinating, it doesn't really so much need the wasp. But right. that is kind of an eerie thought, but I'm glad you did the research on it. That's interesting. I didn't realize that, <laughs> that it could be a regional thing. Yeah, it, um, yeah, it doesn't affect all the varieties. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, good. Well, hey, so, Michael, um, l- let us know how it goes <laughs> for sure. Because once you start those in pots, say late March, after the chance of the last frost, say late March, early April, whatever. I mean, if there's one or two nights that get cold, you can certainly just drag those pots in or something. But once you get that going, those will be ready to plant by fall. So if you start in April and they're just going along in the pots really well, by next fall, you'll be ready to put them in the ground. Great. Thank you so much for yes. your advice. Oh, my gosh. Great to hear from you. Let us know how it goes. Yes, I will. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. Have a great morning. And a food forest. I love that. The the space down in Locust Grove to do that. You may have more space than you realize if you were to do something like that as well. Start grapevines, blueberry bushes, all those kinds of things. There's always room. And it's really just something so, you know, winter interest in the garden and all kinds of things when you really start thinking about fruiting trees and fruiting vines and things. 404-872-0750. Up next, it's Mark and Ackworth. Hey, Mark, good morning. Good morning. Now, you don't plan to go down I-75 through Marietta today, do you? Oh, actually, I just went northbound through there. The I think most of the problems <laughs> are southbound, That's so right. I was fortunate. Three different spots of construction on 75 South between Kennesaw and Northwest Atlanta. So you were lucky going northbound. Good job. Yeah, they're, they're working on the bridges. So that's right. You, and you know how it is with construction. It can take forever. Oh, my goodness. That's right. <laughs> well, what's going on? Now, now, I am asking bottom feeders. So my questions are going to seem kind of ignorant. No, but no, not at all. I, I one plant. I have about uh, just a little bit less than ten acres in Blue Ridge. Okay, this crosswood streams and with uh, springs, and they call them lakes. Well, if you're a real estate agent, they're lakes. Everybody else, their ponds. So water's not an issue, and all of that. Okay, but I, I always wanted some fruit trees, and I was surprised at how small apple trees were. So that was my first, you know, because of that's the uh, thing the region's known for mm-hmm. is to get a couple apple trees going and protect them from the deer and not only that you know like um i plant tomatoes in pots but you know how do i prep a garden would be another question i might have i was wondering if you could just speak to what would you do when where how to start two apple trees because i heard you have to have two because they have to pollinate each other and what would you do to prep ground for a small garden so those are my two questions That's great. And you're calling it a good time, Mark, because now is a great time to establish trees and shrubs. I cannot stress that enough. And people even think, wait, going into December too? But yes, this time of year is the best time to plant because the soil temperatures are cooler. Obviously, the outside temperatures are cooler, but that's really going to put a lot less stress on a tree. Plus, they're not going to be putting on new growth and leaves and all of that kind of stuff. So really, the tree has the energy to focus on its roots and get good root establishment. So then by spring, you'll be ready. You'll start to see them bloom and and leaf out and all of that. Um, Now's a good time to do it. Till up the ground really well. Make sure there's not going to be much competition. If it's you know a place right now that's just got weeds, grass, whatever going, you want to get rid of all of that so there's no competition in the soil uh, for nutrients and water and things like that. All of that is going to be dedicated just to the roots of these new trees. Uh, make sure spacing is so important. You've really got to space them out so that they're not growing into one another. Uh, one of the biggest hardest things to deal with when we talk about fruit trees in the southeast and Georgia and 
pears and plums and, and peaches are no exception, are fungal diseases, right? So once the leaves of the trees are not touching, they're spaced properly, good airflow and all of that so that everything can dry out is really going to be the best defense to preventing diseases on those fruit trees. Um, I'm going to share with you, once we're finished talking, Mark, I'll put you back on hold and let you talk to Anne, because the University of Georgia Extension has a wonderful publication, really simple one here, um, of all of the recommended varieties. And there is a lot of stuff you would recognize the names of, of course, Gala, Red Delicious, Golden Delicious, those kind of, you know, Granny Smith, if you just want to try your hand at, at the uh, the easy the easy ones, the ones that you've eaten and the ones that are more common. And I'm actually going to be, if you listen to the show every Saturday, in a couple of weeks, I'll be talking to Josh Fooder, who is the uh, county extension agent for Cherokee County. And I'm going to be interviewing him about his apple orchards and all the things he's tried and tips too. He's been doing it for a number of years. I myself have not done fruit trees. Um, and I, I don't intend to. I just don't think I have the time to dedicate to it. But you sound like you do. You've got the passion. You've got the time to do it. So really start thinking about getting that soil ready now and make sure you've got maybe some good compost, some good manure to mix into that soil and work into that soil and pick out the plants that you want. Um, what might be a good idea, you know, this is the crazy mating season for deer as well. So anybody who's planting new trees, you're going to want to go ahead and protect those trunks, uh, be it putting some kind of netting, wiring, chicken wire, some kind of, you know, makeshift fencing or PVC piping or whatever up against the small trunks of those trees so that they're not broken or damaged or a deer doesn't run up against them. Um, but I mean, you're, you're, you're at a good place. You kind of have an idea of where you want to select your trees from. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to probably just go to a, a, a established nursery chain and yeah. also there's no compost or any options like that for me. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to buy it in a bag. That's fine. That's that's totally fine. Totally oh. fine. Just as long as you work something into the soil and really spread it out. You know, you don't have to worry about digging it in so much, but just spreading it out and kind of working it into that first uh, inch or two of soil is going to be a really good start for you. And when I send you this publication from the University of Georgia Extension to do a little bit of homework, Mark, because um, one thing with fruit trees is a spray regimen as well. You really have to be familiar with knowing what insecticides you need or what pesticides you need to have on hand, fungicides as well, uh, to all be very preventative and on top of things as soon as you're able to identify problems. Not to say that you'll have them uh, in the first few years, but as long as the soil's happy and the trees have enough space and you're planting them in the right spot, they get a lot of sun, you're off to a good start. Okay, well, I got the sun part and stuff, and you spoke about distance. I mean, do you have, like, a minimum? I have, fortunately, a lot of options because I can go from open field to, you know, a significant uh, patch of trees. Obviously, from what you just told me, the open field and the sun would be the uh, the course to take. But are we talking 100 meters apart is good enough? Um, it really depends on the variety you're going to get, and you'll kind of have an idea, you know, and pruning is so important in that first year, too. So it's going to be pruned and kept kind of small in the first years. But, yes, we have to account for how large it's going to get down the road, four or five, six years once it really starts filling out. Um, be sure to just read the the label for, you know, how to space them. But I would say okay. probably at least, gosh, six to eight feet apart, at least. Oh, that's easy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, I was thinking like, you know, city blocks. You're talking a few feet. Yeah, I easily can do that. I could do that times 10. Yeah, yeah, okay. no no less than 8, maybe even 10. I'm thinking 
Yeah, probably want to even go a little bit more than that. Um, but yeah, and I mean, pruning them and training them and all that in the first couple of years is really important too. My gosh, this this publication I'm going to send you, you will be so ready to do it today. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much for your help. I am so glad you've got that passion for it, that curiosity for it. So you hang tight. Anne's going to get your email address and I can send you that uh, right right away and you'll have it by the time you get back home. Thanks for the call. Going to talk to Jim in Sandy Springs and Anthony in Madison when we return. It's Green and Growing on WSB. All right, Anthony, I don't want you to go anywhere. We're going to be talking about okra. Jim and Sandy Springs, you'll be up next right after the news. Maybe some problems with uh, zoysia grass and how I can help. And I want you to call too, 404 872 So what I did here, I left myself with not very much time before we go to Tina Douglas. So just to let you know, the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. You know it's going to be a nice day for football, whether you're listening to it in your car right here on 95.5, whether you're headed to Athens, be very careful. But cloudy and breezy, a high in the upper 70s, low as 64, and clouds move out and partly cloudy Sunday into Monday still with highs close to 80. Can you believe it? Yeah, that's affecting some things in your in your landscape for sure. So we'll talk about all of that when we come back. It's WSB. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.